Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Welcome to Beyond Reason. A show for those who dare to have an open mind. Now here's your host, Justin Cancellari. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new Beyond Reason, the show for those who dare to have an open mind. I am your host, Justin Cancellari, and tonight I've got an interesting guest on. I'm bringing on Froze Dada, author of Children of the Revolution. Froze was born in Karachi, has lived and worked for most of his life in London. He's a qualified chartered accountant and tax advisor. Froze has traveled with Mumu Dada, photographer, interpreter, and guide. Mumu was born in Tangyi, Burma, and then lived in Karachi. She currently runs the family property businesses in London. Mumu and Froze met in London and were married in Pakistan. Froze, welcome to Beyond Reason. How are you doing this evening? Justin, it's, it's been a beautiful day here in London. The sun has been shining, so... I'm ready to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we've had a pretty awesome day here. Not too hot, not too cold, and the sun has been out, so it's been pretty good here too. So I wanted to start out with uh, how you got started writing Children of the Revolution. I think the book was really a byproduct of the, of the adventure of the discovery of Journey. And what I was experiencing was so profound, or I felt so profound, and particularly the talks that I had with the monk, Mm -hmm. I felt that sharing that knowledge, sharing that experience with other people back home, you know, Mm -hmm. where we live a stressful life, would be a useful thing to do for everybody. So I think the idea of the book really is only a byproduct of the journey, if you see the point I'm making. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um the children uh, the refugee children that ended up at this buddhist uh monastery what happened with this so before we sort of get there if you don't mind my saying just to set the scene of mm-hmm. what happened that uh, my wife is actually from burma but burma or Myanmar, as it's also called was really a closed country for some 50 years or so. Okay. And probably up until 2005, 2006, 
visitors were not welcome or certainly not allowed to stay for longer than seven days. But soon afterwards, the country opened up and my wife decided to take the family for a holiday. And um, we landed up at one of the most beautiful places on earth called the Inlay Lake. And there we were going into, on, and, and you travel on the lake in a canoe, you know, in a canoe style. Mm -hmm. You four or five people just sit, <laughs> and, you know, take off. <laughs> and it was a beautiful, I remember it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining and, you know, it was birds on the, on the shore and, 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 um, and suddenly from, from, from that sort of um, beautiful sunny day, there was a storm. And the boat started to actually sink because they're not really designed for those sort of things. And right. I asked the boat, I said, please, please take us ashore. And the boat landed on the shore. There was nothing much there, it seemed. And, and the boatman, now we can call, call him Major, it took us to the monastery because usually there's nothing else but a monastery in Burma. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's really where I saw the monk. And he was a profound character, you know, a very strong character, a very charismatic person. And I knew there was something happening here at this point in time. And I, I asked him, what's going on here? You know, and then he began to tell us about the children. He said, there are 400 children in this monastery. They are really orphaned, abandoned children from the internal wars that took place, the insurgencies in Burma at that time. So these were children really of, if you like, the revolution or the children of internal fighting uh, and freedom fighting. Okay. So okay. that's where the children really came from, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So um, now he had started raising these children, I'm assuming, from that point on that they came to him? Yes, uh, children arrived at, at different ages and from different parts of the um, region. Okay. Uh, yeah, some would, you know, I think some would be two, three years old or um, and actually, I mean, he started his monastery some, I think in 1990 or thereabouts, where there, you know, there were two or three orphan children just landed up in the monastery, you know, because mm -hmm. there were no, nowhere else to put these children. And he would never turn anybody away. So he started accepting children, looking after them and educating them, which meant, of course, more and more people. Right. You know, more and more children started arriving. And so, so by the time I got there, there were 450. And I hasten to add now that there are 1,200 children today wow. at the monastery. Is that, is that internal struggle still going on there in Burma? Well, I think if you, if we read the news, um, the Rohingya, if you remember the Rohingya, which mm. is a Muslim minority, uh, who've been pushed out into Bangladesh, and there are about almost a million refugees. Wow. Okay. However, that is a different part of the country. And the country that I'm talking, part of the country I'm talking about is another minority group called the Pao, who are Buddhist, but they were also part of the insurgency. 
Now, these people have made peace, if you like. So, in a sense, there is turmoil in Myanmar and Burma, which we read about mm-hmm. all the time in the news. But the place that I have, I was at, is now a more peaceful part of the world. Cool. So, uh, the the monk did. Um, he started teaching them uh, Buddhist religion as well. Were they coming from different faiths that, when they were coming in? Yes, it's, it's, um, although that part of the of Burma, and in fact most of Burma, is Buddhist. Mm-hmm. So by definition, most children are Buddhist. Okay, but 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 uh, the monastery is open to uh, any religion, any. In, in a sense, of course, Buddhism is not really a religion. It's more of a philosophy. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, in a, it, so it, it encompasses everything. And so if the occasional Muslim child or, or Christian child comes, it's not a problem. It's not, there's no particular right. um, barrier. <laughs> so when, when you had traveled there, the, there was obviously much less... Uh, children there than they are now. Um, yes. Now, I'm assuming there's more than just the one monk that was there that was taking care of these children, or was he kind of like the headmaster, quote-unquote, <laughs> if you will? But actually, actually, one would imagine that to look after so many children, there would be an army of people. Right. <laughs> but the remarkable thing, of course, about all this was there were really only three main monks okay. running the show. One was... The big boss, if you like, Onji, mm-hmm. uh, I call him in the book, who's the wise man, the charismatic person, the the philosopher, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was there's a teacher monk who is in charge of the education, and there's a cooking monk. <laughs> okay. So I think if you think about it, they cover the three main areas. Right. And then the and there is a team of um, team of volunteers quite a lot of um, children who have grown up and come back to help. And uh, and uh, there are people from villages and so on who also help. So, of course, above all, the children participate, all of them participate in running the monastery. Wow. In other words, they have a full day. They get up at something like 5 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and they assign not just learning, going to school, but they assign tasks to do with cleaning, to do with uh, cooking. So everybody is given a, a task to do, which helps in running the monastery. Okay. So other than just the education, say somebody is helping with cooking and somebody's helping with getting water Correct. and that sort of thing? It's, it's like... It's like a big machine, you know, or, or more important, more better analogy would be a, a team of ants, if you like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then and that main that monk is then the queen. <laughs> <laughs> the queen bee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, so it is, it is a little bit, you know, in a sense, you asked me the question, well, really, what, what got you writing mm. the book? The point about this is that we in this, you know, in the Western world and in the cities, we are also stressed and we make a big deal about running our businesses, you mm-hmm. probably your radio station, me, my <laughs> accounting practice, whatever. Right. 
Yet, yet uh, an individual like that or a team of people like that uh, run a school, uh, an education establishment, 1,200 kids. Right. Feeding them, looking after them. If you think about the challenge that is put before them, yet, yet, yet they are calm, happy, and actually um, uh, developing. So here was the magic that I saw that I could not see, you know, in our part of the, the right. developed world. I saw almost a miracle happening, if you, if you see the point I'm making. Mm-hmm. Why were these children who had so little so happy? Here was the question. Why were these children who had nothing, actually, so happy? And right. here was the, isn't it, the disconnect that we have in our modern lives to think that money actually brings happiness. Right. But here's something happening which clearly showed me that happiness and money don't really have a connection. There's something else that was happening. You should ask me what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I do want to know, I'm assuming in the monastery, um, there is no technology, there is no outside influence, if you will, for these children and the monks, right? Well, that's a very good point, actually. Um, So when I arrived there, um, I was really impressed by the children. I looked around, in a sense. And as we were leaving uh, the monastery, the monk asked me, he said, we don't get visitors. What do you think? You know, what did Mm -hmm. you think of this? Give me some feedback, you know, how am I doing or how are we doing? Right. And you know something that I had, um, sometimes our mind and our tongue is not connected. Right. Your heart and your tongue is connected, (laughs) which is good, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You must try it sometime. Oh, I do it quite often, actually. A lot of people. So, So I said to him, I wish these children had computers. So he looked at me and he said, Feroz, they have not seen a computer and we don't have any electricity here. So there you, there you see what I, I was, I should yeah. have said, do they need food or drink or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> However, having made that heart mistake, I had to do something about it. And I felt that I could and I felt that I should. And that was the beginning of my own journey and my relationship with the monastery, which started some eight years ago. So you have been there since that that first time? Well, actually, the the point is that when I said, oh, I wish they had computers, which meant actually that in three months' time, my wife Mumu and I packed our bags from London. Now, customs are very strict there. And we okay. packed some. I think we packed four or five laptops, um, extra batteries, small solar panels, yeah, and uh, a box of videos and you know Microsoft programs. Oh, okay. We're not, we're not computer teachers, but you know we just landed up there mm-hmm. in the monastery and we started uh, teaching the the children. And uh, you won't believe it, but 
when you're teaching somebody who's so keen to learn, first of all, mm-hmm. and secondly, uh, you're teaching them from fresh. Right. If you see what I mean. So you could tell them, this is a computer, this is how it works. Well, it's quite simple in some ways. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so our experience began with with bringing computers and then went on to start a computer school there. Okay. Um, So that was the beginning of, of, of the first project that we did. Now, were the kids like fascinated with computers? Did they think that it was... I don't want to say it like it's weird, like magical. Did they understand what it was or did they like have no clue whatsoever? So, um, so as we were going in the boat, I remember praying for inspiration. I said, how am I going to explain what a computer is Mm -hmm. and what it does? (laughs) And actually you have to make sure we buy the book to learn how that works. But (laughs) in short, what happened is I asked, Mumu, my wife, who's an artist, mm-hmm. to draw a big English country house on the on the whiteboard, right? And with windows and a door. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is your computer. You can walk into the door, so you can start the computer and put the password in, and the door will open. Then you've got a choice of going into several rooms. If you want to learn maths, you go to Microsoft Excel. If you want to write a book, go to Microsoft Word. If you want to paint, go into the painting room. Open the drawer, which is the full file. Right. Yes. <laughs> if you see the point I'm making. Mm-hmm. And start scribbling on the piece of paper. You don't want to lose it. You save it. Put it away. Close the, close the door. And come out again. And do you know something? They said, oh, wow, this is simple. Wow. <laughs> it is simple if you think about it. Well, I mean, I, I now that you say that, I kind of wish that that's how it was explained to me when I was a kid. <laughs> so, 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 more in the book. But the point, I guess, it, uh, it was this. that Actually, I do remember one of the kids, in fact, it's is this one, this guy, mm-hmm. the third guy in the book cover. Yeah. <laughs> do you know something that... After three and a half days, he knew almost as much as I did on all those programs, not only working all the programs, but also integrating the programs. So using Excel with Word and, you know, paint and cutting and pasting Mm -hmm. and creating diagrams. Guy was a genius. So in a way, of course, starting from afresh with that simplicity. Right. Gave them, you know, so... The monk said to me, oh, after the, after the um, eight to ten days we were there sleeping on the floor with the lizards and the ants, and, you know, it was crazy time <laughs> for, for a guy like me who's right. <laughs> born with a silver spoon, right. <laughs> living in a great house in, <laughs> in London. So monk said, why don't you say something to the children? You know, they have learned from you. You know, give them some advice. And, do you know something? Another moment in time when your heart and your tongue is connected. And quite honestly, I said what I felt. And I said to the children, I have learned more from you. I've seen, I've seen you act with dignity, with politeness and kindness. Every time, because there were only six computers, right. and there were probably 30 children. And you know what they were doing? Instead of our children pulling, saying, can I have a go? 
Right. They were actually saying, you have a go, you have a go. No, 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 you do it. So I was learning something quite phenomenal, the caring, sharing, loving, and being happy. Sadly, I feel the entire world couldn't learn something from these children. Yeah. So these are the experiences I wanted to share. That's, that's why I started writing the book. I said, this does not happen where we come from. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, it sounds to me like you had your own spiritual experience there just going through doing these things with these kids. And I mean... Obviously, they have as well, being Buddhist, I feel a lot of Buddhists are more spiritual than any other religion that's out there, to be honest with you. Um, but w- what deep down did it do for you for going to help these kids? So, the, uh, let me just um, um, say what happened. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can tell you what happened to discover the spiritual part. But then we'll have to, to end our conversation. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but let me tell you the story, and then we'll come to your answer. If you don't mind, I'll no, answer your that's question. That's fine, yeah. In a roundabout way. So after this, we kept going. So I must have been there 30 times. So I'm going again next week. Um, so the monk, so I said to the monk, teach me Buddhism, right? Teach me, you know, you're clearly a great teacher mm-hmm. because of the children you produce, and you must have a great teacher, Buddha himself, mm-hmm. so teach me about Buddhism, you know. And I was so curious, we used to stay awake all night, this really talking about it. And then in the book, you have questions. Mm-hmm. And I asked to explain things like, you know, humility and honesty and stress and achieving goals and all these wisdom notes are in here. That's why it's so important. I wanted to share them with all all the people, you know? Mm-hmm. So he said to me, he said, Feroz, great you've got, compu- you know, you've got computers here and the children are happy and whatever, but you know, you and I both know we're struggling. There's not enough food on the table. You know, there's not enough clean water to drink. Right. And the children are in really bad health. And I know as I watched them, they had also the skin diseases and because the lake water used to be clean at one time, but progressively is being polluted. And of course, diseases, not enough toilet facilities. Things were really looking bad because there were more and more kids arriving. So he said, Feroz, you're, you're, you know, I'm teaching you Buddhism, right? He said, look, look, I'm teaching you Buddhism. You teach me how to make money. <laughs> you're, a, you're a hot shot from the city. You guys make I want to know how to make this monastery self-sustaining. So I said, look, I mean, I, I can't, so I don't have a magic wand, right. <laughs> but, but give me half a day. <laughs> Let me go and look around and think about it. So okay. he said, okay, you've got one half day and then you report back to me in the evening. So I was under pressure here, think you I can bet. imagine. <laughs> and so I looked around, I walked around the land and and as I left the monastery, still in the monastery land, but away, mm-hmm. I saw actually two streams of water, one sort of coming down, which looked like cold water, and there was some obviously old volcanic activity, so there was a sort of hot spa. Oh, okay. Bubbling, you know. And then I said, hmm, do you know, I said, I think we're going to bottle that spring water. 
It looks fresh, it looks good. Let's bottle it and sell it. So I went running to the monk and said, Monk, 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 I have a great idea. <laughs> Actually, I had several ideas on the table. <laughs> right. this, this, was, this was a real, I mean, it made sense. So I said to him, let's, let's put up a water factory. There were lots of people around in that room because monks and others, mm -hmm. you know. And they actually said, what are you talking about? There's no electricity. Where, where are you going to get the machinery from to put a mineral water factory? <laughs> anyway, the point I'm making is everybody around said, no, you cannot do it, except the monk and I said, no, we're going to do it. And do you know something? In, I think it was 20th of August, or I think 20th of August, 2014, when the doors opened to a brand new water factory. Wow. And that was the beginning of, if you like, making the monastery self-sustaining. And the story of how that happened, you know, is in the book. And, well, I should have got a bottle for you to look at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful, it's called Koye water. Okay. Koya water. Koya means novice monk water. Interesting. And that, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's not um, it's mineral water, so it's purified mm -hmm. up to international standards, but yet has all the nourishment. You know, has all the minerals in it. So that was, if you like, the turning point of the monastery. Okay. That's that's actually really interesting. Um, the thing that comes to mind is, I mean, obviously they can look this up in the book, is how you actually got this done. Um, and it's amazing that you guys were able to get it all functioning for them. Um, now, did that actually help them get the the treatments and everything for these kids so that they weren't getting sick? Well, uh, one most important thing happened because drinking pure water is the biggest thing you can do for your health. Okay. Just because we have it, we take it for granted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you drink crap, bad water, that your health can never be good. Right. It can never be good. So it was a turning point, first turning point, of course. Uh, and, and the bottle says one bottle sold. Yes, buys one child, one meal. So, you know, every time they sell a bottle, it pays for one meal. Okay. So, they're beginning to get good food. But above all, actually, they were beginning to attract attention. And more donations were coming in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, it just changed the whole, it changed everything. Yeah. And, of course, then we went on to, went on to do a children's clinic. So, we have a, you know, we have a, health clinic and other, you know, it developed really because even for, for me to raise money in the UK, having established, you know, have a track record was quite easy or comparatively easy. Okay. So we man managed to do many projects. Now, I'm sure you still want me to answer the question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I was watching the monk and his Buddhist teaching and the great children, right? Mm -hmm. All amazing. 
But I knew that something, I was missing something. This is almost four years down the line, okay? I still felt there's something I was missing. Mm-hmm. I was missing, because why were they laughing so much? Were they on some sort of drug or something? <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, you can censor that if you like. Uh, because there are lots of heroin fields there. Sorry, oh, it's a joke. Oh, okay. Uh, no. But I hadn't worked out why were they in such elated spirits all the time, mm-hmm. okay? Nobody shouted, nobody talked loudly, nobody was impolite. It was like they were peaceful, you know? Mm. So I said to the monk, I I said, monk, you're hiding something from me. He said, I'm not hiding anything from you. So I said, I'm going to track you (laughs) from the moment I get up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep. I'm sure I'll find something. He said, okay. He said, my day starts at 3.30 a.m., Wow. This was, this was in the beginning, in the middle of winter. Temperature at that time would be zero degrees. And he said, I go outside in the pagoda there for my meditation. If you want to know what I do, join me. That's the beginning of my day. So I was, I was excited and getting ready to get up in the morning. However, I, we got diverted that evening, that night. And that night, Monk has said, look, you and Mumu, my wife, you've been sleeping on the on the floor with all these creatures, you know, all sorts of really weird creatures in the morning, you know. You'd be lying with, you get up in the morning, some are dead, some are alive, oh. some are all of you. <laughs> but it's okay. So he got us, uh, he got us a uh, air mattress. Have you ever slept on an air mattress? Yeah. Just, you have, haven't you? Yeah. Now, this is obviously a second or third hand mattress and probably had a very slow puncture. Now, I think you know what I'm, yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not small, you know, I'm quite a big guy. But my wife is petite and small. Okay. So every time I turned, she'd go whoop. <laughs> you know, because, it, because it's pretty soft, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's leaking. So I didn't get a, I didn't get any sleep that night. Okay, <laughs> anyway, whatever it may be, I was up not at three thirty but four o'clock, and he was in meditation there, and he kept a mat next to him so that I wouldn't disturb him. But the good news is he was expecting me, so oh, okay. <laughs> at least he had some faith in. in <laughs> and I turned up, I sat next to him. Now, for me. Uh, the spiritual uh, point was this, that he was meditating. I, I had actually, uh, I'll backtrack in a minute, mm-hmm. but I sat there and, and did some meditation, but I was not as, you know, as uh, seasoned as, as he, he, he was. And I sat with him and then he turned around and he took my hands afterwards and he said, let us meditate together for compassion as we do in Buddhism for humanity. So we sat together, did some meditation, and the children began to arrive, as they do at about five o'clock. Okay. They're surrounded, and, and when I next I looked around, they were quietly sitting, watching these two old men holding hands. <laughs> 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 Not quite. <laughs> but then you were doing meditation. Then the monk turned around and said, okay, time for all of us to meditate together. So he chanted with the children, and they started meditation with the children. 
and I saw their faces. Now, this was something that was happening. My mind was actually resonating. You know, I could listen to those melodies. It, they were sounding different. Things were beginning to happen in my head. Uh, and I realized that something, you know, something was happening at this moment. So when the children finished and went away, I said to the monk, what sort of meditation were you doing, Mr. Mm -hmm. Monk? And he said, I was doing Vipassana meditation. Justin, Vipassana. I said, what is Vipassana meditation? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. He said, this was a meditation which Buddha used to do when he attained enlightenment. I said, wow, that's, teach me, I said. You know, right. Buddha was so, you know, amazing, and you're not bad either, monk. <laughs> I, want, I, I want some of that, you mm -hmm. know, because this is what I've been missing. He said, I can't teach you. I said, why can't you teach me? He said, you need a master. You need a Vipassana master. Anyway, in short, Vipassana is a dying sort of, Oh, okay. because, because to to be, even begin the process, you have to go into seclusion for 10 days, minimum of 10 days, where you have no communication or activity other than meditation from 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. You can eat breakfast and lunch, but no communication, no writing. It's complete cut off from the world. And I can see what happens when you do that sort of meditation. It actually makes that profound difference in the way you think. It reconfigures your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, our modern type of meditation is fairly surface meditation. It might put a smile on your face. It does not give you virtue and wisdom. That sort of meditation changes the way you're configured, the way you feel. So, that was a spiritual point. And I think that's a really good point to end on because, I mean, I've tried doing meditation for a long time and I cannot get the to the meditation that a lot of people do in just what we call the meditation here. So, but, but actually I want to share... I want to backtrack and just mm -hmm. join those lines because that's really important. Uh, some eight years ago, I'd met, just before I left for Burma, a spiritual master. And he told me that he was a Sufi. He came from a Sufi background. Okay. Yeah. And he taught me the breath of the divine. In other words, it's a breathing exercise. I wouldn't call it an exercise, almost actually igniting your inner self by breathing technique and then going into meditation. Now, when I looked back, mm -hmm. I realized that my own journey actually began at that time, that the seeds were sown at that time. Why I managed to change so much to act in this way on the one hand, being an accountant running a, a, a tax practice in the middle of London, mm -hmm. to give it all up and to find another journey, you know. But the seeds were sown at that point, and the dots were all met at the end of, if you see the point I'm making. Yeah. So spirituality is a path beyond religion. 
It is where all beliefs converge. So the point I was trying to make is that the Sufi meditation and the Buddhist meditation mm -hmm. actually were the same in the end. Wow. Yes, so that is really the spiritual journey on both sides, the Buddhist side, the Sufi side. That's amazing. I, I think that uh, a lot of people can learn from this because, I mean, we are so stuck in the area that uh, we think money is happiness. We think that uh, we have a good handle on things when truthfully we're just going day to day where these children have symbolized it so much. I mean, I, I would love to visit, just visit the monastery just to see what goes on there because I think I could learn a lot. I think you should go. And many people who have read the book, many, many, many people who read the book have gone there. In fact, in fact, the person who was editing this book actually left it and said, I have to go. Wow. When he, he, he took the plane, went to, to Burma, went to the monastery, and then came back and finished editing it. It is a profound place. And I wish you can go, Justin. And people who listen to this program buy the book, which I, I guess it, it can be bought from the Inlay Trust website, which mm -hmm. is www.inlaytrust.org.uk. I guess you'll put some mm -hmm. banner yep. with you. And if you, if, you, if you then read the book, you realize how, how amazing that your life can also change in the way that our lives changed. So not only would you enjoy the book, but maybe another adventure for you. <laughs> <laughs> and where can they find uh, you to ask you any questions or anything like that? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a email on the website. Okay. So I think website has a book. It has a history. It's got films there. It's got photographs. It's got everything. So it's really the place to go to buy the book. All the books are available on Amazon and every, everywhere else. But that's really the port of, of entry. And they can email me and ask me questions by all means. And I'm very happy to answer them. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on, Froze. And I enjoyed having you on. And you have yourself a good evening. Thank you. And you too. All right, folks. That was Feroz Dada, author of Children of the Revolution. I hope you guys check out the book. It's an amazing read. And I, it's also uh, an amazing experience, as you heard from Feroz himself. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, trying to get out there i mean it's sounds like an amazing place and i'm uh definitely looking forward to to trying to get out there so that is all i got for you this week i hope you guys enjoyed the show so until next week keep those minds open this is justin cancellari signing off It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. 
Get back to your life with CBD Medic. Available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. Get back to your life with CBD Medic, available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.